0: and ask God's blessing upon our brother and uh, his team and also for our hearts to be open to the word of the Lord this morning. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that um, we get to participate with, with the work of Foursquare Disaster Relief in Haiti. And Father, we pray for our brother, Pastor Richard, and his team um, we pray for their protection. God, be a shield about them. Keep evil far from them, and give them the strength that they need. Lord, it's been two weeks nonstop, and uh, and and to, today is a day of rest. Lord, may they may they be refreshed. May they be filled. May they may you show them the the, the glory of your wonder in creation, as well as uh, in um, uh, in the smiling faces that they will encounter today. Uh, Father, we pray uh, for their, their strength. We pray for their health. We pray for their intestinal fortitude. God, we pray uh, that you would keep those bad microbes and ugly things from their system, that they would be able to finish strong, that the entire team would finish strong, and that they would not kind of let their guards down in any kind of way not, not now and 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 we thank you for the salvations the people who have prayed to receive Jesus and we thank you that out of disaster comes salvation and discipleship as these ones will be turned over to the local Haitian churches to the ministries that are there that live there thank you God for for the opportunity that you send that you have sent their way uh to to be your hands and your feet um so lord thank you for that and lord we uh as we as we uh uh, dive into your word today god that you give us uh eyes to see and maybe even more importantly ears to hear and understand what you want to say to us in this last this last portion of The book of Judges. And so, Father, um, thank you for everyone online. Lord, we pray a blessing upon them. Uh, We're blessed to be able to be here today, and we ask you to fill us afresh and anew in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Give someone a high five if you would, if you're cool with that. If not, just point at somebody. Fist bump works as well in this house of the Lord. Fist bumps definitely work. It turns out that our words really matter. You know that. You're in church on Sunday morning. You already know that your words matter. But I forget sometimes. We, are, we understand that as a follower of Christ, it is not becoming of us to lie or to embellish or make promises that we know we can't keep. Uh, This is an ongoing struggle for me to be careful what I say and who I say it to. Because sometimes I will say yes to things and then walk away and wonder, why did I say that? And I am bound by my word. I am bound by my word. Every time I speak something, when I do what I say I will do, that word is redeemed. God always redeems His Word. That is, when God speaks it, He redeems it because it happens all the time. I, for one, and again, not any of you here, but there are times where I say yes to things or I promise things and I cannot deliver. And then I'm forced to make a decision. I either go through the motions and fake it till I make it, Or I humble myself and say, I am so sorry that I said this. I cannot do that. Now you might think well that's a lack of integrity. That is exactly what it is. And I'm working on it. It's not easy. Some of you might understand what I'm talking about. Where you say, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. And then you think, oh no why did I do that? Um, I try not to leave my word undone. I try to to follow through on the things that I have said. However, and this is no excuse, but sometimes I have to say, you know, I'm sorry. I know that I told you this, but I'm not able to do that or the other. It's a humbling thing. Our words really matter. I have found Personally, for me, sometimes I'm much more effective if I keep my mouth closed. I am also much more effective if someone asks me something and rather than feeling like I have to have the answer now because that's what you do, you got to have an answer to that, I have found it's a lot smarter to sometimes say, you know, I don't really know that. I don't have an answer for that. But let me get back to you. I found that to be helpful for me. We are called as followers of Jesus to be truth tellers and to live in the truth. Why? I've shared with you over and over again and many, many times that as a youth pastor a hundred years ago that I happened upon a book by uh, the apologist, and an apologist is one who defends the faith. Uh, in hostile environments with hostile people sometimes. Josh McDowell wrote a book called Beyond Belief to Conviction. And the premise of his book was, among many things, is that when we're ministering to teens, we have to get them beyond just the, yes, I believe, I believe, I believe, that is okay, but we've got to get them to the point where they are utterly convinced. Oh no, listen, there's nothing you can tell me because I have a conviction that this is true. And in that, he spoke about the Ten Commandments and how the Ten Commandments are always tied to the character of God. And so the basis for why we follow the Ten Commandments is not just because it's the right thing to do or it's the old-fashioned thing or it's what society is expecting, but because we follow a God who is each of those things. God is truth. Jesus said he was the truth, therefore I must speak truth. If I'm not speaking truth, I am out of character with my Christian character. If, I, if I'm not speaking truth, I, I'm not bringing honor and glory to God because people will say, you're supposed to be a follower of Jesus, and sometimes those who are not in the church have a better understanding of we in the church, of how we're supposed to act and how we're supposed to live. And every once in a while, they'll call us. They'll, they'll call us and say, hey, wait a second, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? Then what, you just lied to me, and you're like, oh my gosh, man, and then we say things like, hey man, don't judge, or whatever, you know, and it's like, you know, at that point, just own up to it, humble yourself, have a big chunk of humble pie, have some ice cream to go with it, and then go home and repent. Is it just me, or is it not you guys? Okay, it's just me, all right, this is for second service, maybe some people online, I don't know, obviously. Um, so I don't speak truth because of corporate bylaws. Uh, you know, it's interesting how, how uh, ma- uh, MBA programs and master's degree programs and corporate boardrooms who, on the one hand, will say things like, don't bring your Christianity into the workplace. My response to that would be, so you want me to lie? So you want me to steal? So you want me to cheat? And so you want me to be unfaithful? And so you want me to make this work all about me? Because if I don't bring my Christianity into the workplace, I have no basis to follow these things you just asked me to do. You told me to work hard. Why would I work hard for you? I'm trying to get paid and work as least as I can. I don't care about the corporate goal. It's all about me. Oh, but leave your Christianity out of the workplace. Listen, sir, madam, you want my Christianity in the workplace. Because if I bring my Christianity in the workplace, I'm going to be a man or woman of integrity. I'm going to outwork everybody else. I'm not going to gossip. I'm going to be a person who's under authority and recognizes that I may not disagree with every decision you make, but you're in charge and you're in authority, therefore, I'm going to follow what you say. Oh, you want that in your workplace. You want that. So I speak truth because. Not because it's the right thing to do, but it's because of who Jesus is. So the commandments are tied to the character of God. We're finishing Judges chapter 21 today. Yes. If you're online, you didn't hear the hand clap. Our worship leader's excited that we're finishing. (laughs) So am I. And we're going to end on, on, on we're going to end on such a good note. I walked in this morning, and everybody was so excited, and I said, "You guys are excited because we're finishing judges, huh?" And they're like, "No, <laughs> no, that's not it." <laughs> um, at the first census um, of the children of Israel as they left Egypt, there were thirty five thousand 400 um, men of war in the tribe of Benjamin. Numbers chapter 1, verse 37 for your reference. That increased by the time we get to Numbers chapter 26 to 45,600 men of war. During, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, during what we'll call the three-day war that Israel levied, Against Benjamin, there are 600 men left. No, that's it, of the entire tribe. There are no children, there are no women, there are 600 men left. 25,000 men of the tribe of Benjamin die. 600 of them are hiding out in a stronghold called the Rock of Rimon. Because the Israelites had went through and they went from city to city, basically man to man, they killed the beast, they killed everything they found, and then they set fire to the cities. And if you've been with us, you understand why they did that. They did that because there was a concubine who was staying the night at a friend's house and his... Uh, 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 A Levite, I'm sorry, uh, who had a concubine. And in this particular city of Gibeah, there was a mob of men that wanted to have homosexual relationships with the man's guest. And in, in an effort to avert that, he throws his concubine out to them where they ravage her all night long and she dies. And so Israel, the nation, hears about it through a grotesque way and they gather and and they tell the tribe of Benjamin, give up the men that did this. And for some crazy reason, Benjamin says no, and then it's civil war. Now, as a result of that, there are 600 men left in the entire tribe. Have you ever said something or done something that seemed right at the time, but later you were convicted that what you did or what you said wasn't right? Israel was mad because of what Benjamin did. In addition to that, chapter 21 of Judges tells us that they made an oath at a place called Mitzvah. And the oath was none of us shall give our daughters to the tribe of Benjamin as a wife. They're trying to exterminate this tribe. Six hundred men with no women cannot reproduce because men don't have babies regardless of what some people who have absolutely lost their minds are trying to tell me. They have not, not lost their minds, they have absolutely lost their minds. They make an oath, and it's one of oaths, one of a couple of oaths that they make that are not good. Now, considering the seriousness of what they did, this seemed reasonable. And, and, and that's a term that I want to, is going to come up a couple times, that it seemed reasonable. It did. Number one, this oath had unseen consequences. Even though it seemed reasonable, there are unforeseen consequences number one it says in verse 2 then the people came to the house of God and remained there before, the, before God till evening they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said oh Lord God of Israel why has this come to pass in Israel that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel if you know your Bible you know there are 12 tribes And that number 12 is significant, by the way, throughout the Bible. And they're asking God, why? God, why have you allowed this? God, why have you done this? Maybe it's a reasonable question. But maybe the better statement is that we, maybe I should say I, have a tendency to blame others for my mistakes. Okay, we do that. We have a tendency to blame others for our mistakes. If you sit in a marriage counseling scenario, um, I'm always a little bit questioning when someone says it's all her fault. Now, the first thing you learn that you should learn in some jolly good, counseling before you're married or there are certain words you never say and one of them is always you never say every time you never say those words because it's not true i mean it might be but it's probably not it's probably not or when he's the reason for the problem One hundred percent? One hundred percent. And I'm not saying that can't be possible. I'm just saying that typically takes two to tango. Right? Typically. We have a tendency to blame others for our mistakes and that goes back to our forefather and mother Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3 verse 11. After they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of that tree that God told them not to tree. They immediately play the blame game. The Lord says to them, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And by the way, when God asks you a question, it's it's not because he doesn't know the answer, but he wants to get you to a place of confession. This would have been the time when God asks you a question Think confession obediently. What have I done, Lord, that you would ask me this? And so, what do they do? Then the man said, "It's the woman who you gave me." That's a that's a double do right there. That's a double do. That's a that's two scoops at Lappert's ice cream across from the Aloha Specialties. That's two scoops. <laughs> Y'all don't know about Lafferty's. So you know about Lappert's, yeah. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's not my fault, it's this woman. as he looks this way, to God. don't even look at her. point. And then he blames God, because you gave her to me. Oh, he wasn't complaining about her before. Anyway, never mind. Yeah The woman who gave, she gave me of the tree and I ate, which was true. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. It's the serpent's fault. What if Satan would have said, Hey, y'all don't blame me. Don't blame me. Y'all got yourself into this. That's not what happened. Listen, to confess our sin is to agree with God that we are sinners that have missed the mark of God's holiness and righteousness, it's the agreement. God's desire is that we should live lives of confession for salvation. Because you cannot, you cannot, you must agree with God about your condition before you can come to God in humility and repentance. Confession must take place, Lord. Lord, I, 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 I'm, I'm. It's not confession. Is not is not uh, uh, asking forgiveness. Confession is agreeing. That's the first thing you have to do is agree with God. You, you, you know, and, and for salvation, but also for daily life. We must be people who confess quickly and say, you know what? I'm sorry I, I, I looked at you that way. I'm sorry I said this. You know, I'm sorry that, I'm sorry that, that um, we should be a people living that. Uh, can, do you know there are websites that are confession websites? I, let me read this to you confession website acts as an area that is your personal anonymous everyday diary a place that is fully dedicated to your secret confessions whether good or bad shameful or embarrassing just say it out loud are you kidding me they're on to something though they're providing a safe place sure sure it's safe they're providing a safe place for people to what to confess Secret confessions, whether good or bad, how do they determine what's good or bad? That's an interesting question. Who Who's say, shameful or embarrassing? Just say it out loud. You know, th- this is dumb, but, it, but it's on to the... It, you see, there's something within people that want to come clean. And the biggest thing is to come clean with God. And then you can sleep at night. Then you can have this thing called peace because you know that you're 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 you've come clean with God confession is powerful Romans 10:9 says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you'll be saved you cannot you cannot be saved unless you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and confess your own distance from him Listen, all this whole scenario, everything that we're about to read, it all could have been averted had the nation not turned from their God and worshipped idols. Because I started backing this up and saying, how did they get in this mess? Well, first of all, the nation worshipped idols. Secondly, the Levite decided to follow an unbiblical precedence and have a wife and a concubine. Had he followed the biblical model of marriage, he wouldn't have done that. Then, he, uh, 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 had he done the courageous thing and protected his concubine rather than, rather than throwing her out to be abused, they would not have been in this mess. And by the way, you never know what God would have done if you don't step out to find out. You you will not know what God would have done if you don't step out to find out. Because you can look at it with your eyes and say, this is suicide. Or you can look at it with faith in the moment, which is hard, and say, you know what? You will not have my concubine. Uh, You know what? Let's go and walk out that door. And whatever God does, God does. Oh, how many times I wish I would have stepped out to find out and not distrusted what I see with my eyes. Hmm. All of this could have been averted. Benjamin followed, had Benjamin followed the law and given up those wicked men to Israel, this would have never happened. By the way, we never see Benjamin going to God in confession. They're quiet. We never read about them humbling themselves. Never. Even when they're down to 600 men, we don't read about them crying out to God. Don't, uh, if they did, it's not there for our reading. Transference is when we blame God for our sin, our selfishness, and the works of Satan in the world. Israel did this. Israel got themselves in this mess. And it all started by them turning from God. And now they're blaming God for this. God, why have you done this? Huh? (laughs) Well, they're concerned that Benjamin will be... They killed all of them. The men, the women, the, the animals. There's only 600 men left. And they're concerned that the tribe might be wiped out. You think you had a part in that, bucko? Well, give them credit. They're concerned about their brothers now. And they understand they've made this vow that their daughters can't marry any of them, so they got a problem. They want to help out. They want to help God. You ever done that? Online? You, right there, with the macho combo burrito. Yeah, you. You ever try to help God? We got a problem here, so let's help God figure it out. Ah. It says verse 4 early the next day the people built an altar and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings and the Israelites asked who from all the tribes of Israel has failed to assemble before the Lord for they had taken a solemn oath that anyone who failed to assemble before the Lord at Mizpah will be put to death was to be put to death. What is it with these guys making these oaths? you, you know what? First of all, Israel, stop it. Just close your mouth and stop promising and saying things. Because every time you do, you stick your foot in your mouth. Oh no, we, if you didn't come to the battle, oh, then we're going uh, to put you to death. In verse 8, they discover that there, the, the, the people of Jabesh Gilead didn't come to the camp and therefore didn't go to the war. We don't understand, we don't get the knowledge of why they didn't go. We can assume that they heard about it, And we can assume that everyone was supposed to be there, but for whatever reason, they didn't come. And so Israel is scheming to fix the Benjamite problem. So they find out Jabesh Jabesh Gilead didn't come to the fight. And they're like, what? Verse 10 says, So the assembly sent 12,000 fighting men with instructions to go to Jabez-Gilead and put to the sword those living there, killing the women and the children. This is what you are to do, they said. Kill every male and every woman who was not a virgin. They found among the people living in Jabesh-Gilead gilead 400 young women who had never slept with the men. That is, they're unmarried. And they took them to the camp of Shiloh in Canaan. (sighs) Look at verse 2. They went to the house of the Lord. They wept bitterly. Verse 4. They built an, off, an altar. They, they burnt, offered burnt offerings and fellowship. They, they've gone to the right place to solve this. They're in the house of the Lord. They're, in the, they're, they're where they need to be. But here's what they didn't do. They never waited to hear from God. See, number two, when, when I do what seems reasonable, sometimes I don't wait for the Lord to speak because I do what seems reasonable. And here they go again. They, they almost killed off an entire people group with the exception of 400 young women who were virgins, that is, unmarried. I suppose Israel justified this slaughter because Jabesh Gilead basically agreed with the Benjamites by not going to war to fight against them. If they knew and didn't go to war, well, perhaps there's some discipline coming their way. But killing them off? What a terrible price to pay, but such are the wages of sin. We can make our choices, but we can't make our consequences. Number three, when I do that which seems reasonable... I can sometimes, like Israel, put tribal loyalties above God's commands and justify wrong actions to correct past mistakes. They knew this wasn't right. 12,000 men went to war and nobody said, Oh, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. What's the word of the Lord? Here we go again. Didn't we make this mistake last time? Why are we doing? No, no, no. They went. They went. And their tribal loyalty was above the commandments of God. And then they've got another problem. They still need 200 more wives. And they can't give any of theirs because they made a vow. Maybe at this time it's like, God... We repent. We confess that we should have never said this. Please, Lord, we don't want to see this tribe extinguished. Help us out, God. We, we are sorry that we said this. Please, uh, fall on the mercy of God because you never know what God will do if you don't step out and see. But they don't. The problem's not solved. The people, verse 15, grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a, uh, uh, they said, a gap in the tribes of Israel. So the elders hold another meeting. Somebody remembered that these young ladies would go up to Shiloh for an annual feast. So these young virgins, there was some sort of a girl, unmarried girls women's conference in Shiloh. And they hey! Wait, what about the, what about all those girls who go to Shiloh? And they went, right, 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 right. Okay, come on. What else you got? What else? Anybody got anything on this? What you got? What you got? Hmm. Verse 20 says, so they instructed the Benjamites. These are the 600 men, 200 of which, now the 400, they got their wives, and they gone. Oh no, they're probably still all together, but they're still 200, Still two hundred who don't have wives. So they say to the Benjamites, those who uh, go, uh, verse twenty, go and hide in the vineyards and watch. And when the young women of Shiloh come out to join in the dancing, rush into the vineyards, and each of you seize one of them to be your wife. I would, if you're single, I would not recommend this. You will. This is called kidnapping, and you will. You will go and serve for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And then return to the land of Benjamin when their fathers or brothers complain to us, we will say to them, do us the favor of helping them because we did not get wise for them during the war. See, we killed them all. (laughs) We left 600. And we've made a vow. We can't give them our daughters. So we just let them take yours. This is crazy. We'll we'll explain it. You won't be guilty of breaking your oath because you did not give your daughters to them. You know what that's called. That's called a loophole. Listen, we said that we weren't going to give our daughters to them, but we never said they couldn't take them. I don't know about you, but I can have a tendency to do that sometimes. It's not good. It's not good. No, that's not what I said. What I said was this. I never said that. Really, bro? Really? Sis? Really? Really? You going to go there? So let's summarize in this. Let's... Let's get to our conclusion this morning. I'm excited. The 600 got their wives and saved the tribe. The 11 tribes sort of kept a vow. I'm using these pronouns on purpose. The citizens of Gibeah or Jabesh Gilead were punished. Benjamin was taught a significant lesson. And the 12 tribes were preserved. number four, when I do things that seem reasonable, that which comes afterward didn't have to happen. And all this carnage and all this death, it didn't have to happen. Verse 25 says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's how the book of Judges ends. For the fourth time, we read, there was no king in Israel. And for the second time, we read, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. During the time of the judges, the people of Israel experienced trouble because everybody operated under their own authority and acted out their own version of right and wrong. And the results were terrible. That's the result of individual societies and authorities who make themselves the final authority without reference to God. That's what happens. Things have not changed because the human heart has not changed. In the 19th century, there was a movement in Britain called the British Socialist Movement, which thought that with the, wide, with the spread of education and culture, soon the world would progress beyond injustice and savagery. What's fascinating is to compare what many of the leaders of this movement said after World War I and World War II. For example, Beatrice Webb wrote in her diary in 1890, I stake everything on the essential goodness of human nature. She referenced that statement 35 years later, but then said, I realize now how permanent the evil and instincts and impulses in us that mere um, uh, uh, social machinery will never change. That's true. David Cecil, after the Holocaust of World War II, said this, The philosophy of progress has led us to believe that the savage and primitive was behind us, but it turns out it is within us. True. True. True 3,000 years ago. True today. True 1,000 years from now, should the Lord tarry. I don't think He will, but... True. John Adams, the second president of the United States, said, "...democracy will soon degenerate into an anarchy, such an anarchy that every man will do what is right in their own eyes, and no man's life or, pros- or property or reputation or liberty will be secure. And every one of these will soon mold itself into the system of subordination Of all the moral virtues and intellectual abilities, all the powers of wealth, beauty, wit, and science, they will subject themselves, if you would, to the wanton pleasures, the capricious will, and the excrucible cruelty of one or very few. Ultimately, that's what happens. You want to live in society where there's no king in in Israel and everyone did what's right in their own eyes? Somebody eventually is going to tell you what's right. Who would that be? That would be whoever has the biggest guns and whoever has the power to enforce what they tell you to do. May America never be that. May America never be that. Conclusion. Judges doesn't attempt to gloss over the sins, the foolishness, the depravity of the people of Israel. That in and of itself shows a high degree of credibility rather than presenting a sanitized version of the historical accounts. Translation, that's why I love the Bible, because it tells the truth and it doesn't hide the serious significant issues that people had and the way they treated one another. Even the great leaders of the Bible, the men and women who did amazing exploits for God, had feet of clay. And the Bible doesn't hide that. To me, that proves its authority. Because if you were making up the story of the Bible, if the Bible was indeed written by man, well, then, of course, I'm leaving that part out. (laughs) I don't even have the book of Judges. I'm going straight to Ruth. (laughs) I'm not going to talk about the depravity of man because I am a man, and I know how I am. Ah, number two. In the life application study notes on Judges 21, I ripped this off. It says, it is the ultimate heroic act to submit all our plans, desires, and motives to God. Men like Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson all in Judges, are known for their heroism in battle, but their personal lives were far from heroic. In other words, their public exploits did not match their personal convictions. See, we must go to battle every day in our home, in our church, in society, and make God's kingdom a reality. I hate to use the term go to war. Like I hate when athletes say that. I hate it. Because you're not going to war. You're getting paid a trillion dollars to shoot a ball through a hoop. That's not war. we got to go to war. Stop it. Don't use that analogy. Obviously you've never been in a war. But we are in a spiritual war. The real battle, the real battle is within me. And folks, that's hard work because i have to die every day to my desires my wants my pleasures my direct my this my that me me and did i mention me it can't be about me and that is an everyday death sentence you want to be a hero in the kingdom of god die every day Woo! that's not easy thirdly God's Word stands despite His people's unfaithfulness. Can you say amen to that? Oh, I feel like I'm leading the church and leading the witness this morning, but you got to get an amen on that. Let me say it again. God's Word stands despite His people's unfaithfulness. Sometimes the judge's faith is weak and imperfect, but God honored what little trust they did have and glorified His name through them. Even if, they, even if they disobeyed him, and I'm not saying it's okay to disobey God, but even if they did, or their unbelief and disobedience was, was at the highest level, it did not cancel out the word of God. It did not. See, because God's going to do what God's going to do in spite of an imperfect people. Listen, fourthly, God uses human government to accomplish His will. The good ones and the bad ones. God uses human government to accomplish His purposes. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, but God still worked. Romans 13 tells us that God instituted human government for our good. May I remind you that the greatest exploits of the of 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 uh, uh, if, since the time of Jesus, the greatest exploits happened in the first century church amidst incredible persecution, with a unipolar government that was in charge of everything that was godless, and the gospel spread like wildfire. It's our responsibility to respect. Everybody say respect. respect. Everybody say obey. obey. Oh, some of y'all didn't say it, never mind. It's our responsibility to respect and obey the authorities that God has placed above us unless it violates the Word of God. And there are sometimes we disobey and it's not violating the Word of God. But we say it is. <laughs> Let's be careful about that. Here's the point. God can accomplish His purposes in monarchies, in dictatorships, regardless of the form of government. America, listen, God does not need a democratic republic to further His purposes and His plans. Because Proverbs fourteen thirty four still applies righteousness, exalts the nation, and sin is a reproach to any people. Number five, through it all, oh, through it all, through it all, the sovereign Lord of the universe is working out his plan for his people and for the nations. Through it all, through the good, the bad, and the ugly, God's got purpose, God's got plan, God will use the sinfulness of man to accomplish his purposes God's working. God's moving through it all. Judges illustrates God's grace. God's got a purpose. God's got a plan. God already knows these things were going to happen, and God is way ahead. He's infinitely ahead of all of these events that we read about in history. Judges illustrates the grace of God. And you think, "Oh, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Listen, the tribe of Benjamin... Down to 600 men. They recover. And there's a few names from that tribe that you may not know came from the tribe of Benjamin. How about King Saul? Eh, not impressed. How about Esther? Not impressed. You should be. How about Saul of Tarsus? You knew that Paul, the apostle, was a Benjamite, didn't you? Oh, I'm telling you that God looked back thousands of years. And he said, this is a terrible thing that has happened, but I'm going to sprinkle grace on it. And after my son is crucified and raises from the dead... Oh, we're going to call one from the tribe of Benjamin who will be one of the greatest men in the New Testament. That's God's grace. Because had the Benjamites been exterminated, we have no Saul, we have no Esther, and we have no Paul the apostle. Oh, I'm sure God could have done it some other way, but that was his purpose. That was his plan. I'll leave you with this and we're going to celebrate communion together because it's the right thing to do. So if you will begin working on your communion element cup because it takes a minute to get this thing. Pete, I think I took yours. Thank you for peeling it open for me. Oh, listen, folks. i leave you with this. God's story isn't finished yet. Come on up, Chris. Thank you. God's story isn't finished. You read the book of Judges and if you close the Bible and never read anything else, you would be depressed (laughs) because you got to get to the next book because the book of Ruth happened at the same time of Judges. It starts with, it came to pass. Warren Worsby says there are eight Old Testament books that start with, and it was, because they're all part of a continuing story God is writing. God's writing His story even today. Our world is chaotic. Oh, we got big issues. <laughs> Woo! It's mind-boggling and dizzying. greed, violence. I read an article about a, a man whose son was brutally murdered in Las Vegas and he said, how could anyone do this to another human being? And I thought about judges. I thought, oh, this is, oh. Yeah. There's division and there's, there's tension. There's everyone doing what's right. In their own eyes and here's the reality of followers of jesus we know something see we know the end of the story we know how it ends it's okay i would say it's not fun to watch a game when you already know what's going to happen but i do that all the time i can't take it i used to be able to have self-control If there's a some sporting event that I really want to see who won, then I find out as soon as I can, and then I go home and watch it. And my wife says, "Why are you watching it? You already know what happens." I go, "I know." (laughs) It's a lot less tense this way. Oh, maybe life is a lot less tense no matter how crazy it gets when I already know how it's going to end. And so I live with an edge. There's something within me that's optimistic. Oh, not about the, the depravity of man. Oh, I already know that. But I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. And I'm there to, to, to grieve with those who grieve and help them. But I also am looking past this because I know that soon this ain't going to be here anymore. I say I know how the book ends. I've read the book of Revelation. I know how it ends. And you don't have to read the book of Revelation to know how it ends. You could read the book of Genesis and know how it ends. Can you say amen to that? You can read the first three chapters of the Bible and you can know how it ends. Ah, no matter how bad, God wins. God wins. Can I say that to your life? Can I remind myself and you today about the grace of God in the midst of a dark Book in the Bible, can I remind us that God wins? Jesus actually won. And Jesus wins. Let's remind ourselves of that. We're going to celebrate communion today and whoo. This is our covenant reminder that Jesus wins because we look back at His life and His death and His resurrection. We remind ourselves that He's coming again. Jesus, thank You for leaving us this very simple reminder. Lord, You didn't make it extravagant. You made it something that the poorest of the poor in the third world country could celebrate. Our brothers and sisters in Haiti can celebrate this after a devastating earthquake. Oh, we pray, oh God, that you would supply their needs. That you would minister to those who are brokenhearted. Some of them need to be reminded, God, that you are in control. And that you do have a purpose and a plan. Lord, let this in our lives be an expression of faith and an acknowledgement of what's to come. Let's take together this bread that is symbolic of his body that was broken for us. And Lord, we drink as well of the cup, the third cup of redemption uh, and the Passover Seder, the cup that you offered to your disciples. You said, take and drink. This is my blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. It's the seal of the new covenant, because every covenant was sealed in blood. And so, Lord, we drink together as a token of fellowship and communion with you, and reminding that the blood of Christ cleanses us of all unrighteousness. So Lord, thank you. Would you bless us with your grace today and your mercy in the name of Jesus. Father God, we thank you for this, this amazing book that has caused us to stop and think and meditate. And Lord, we, um, we're grateful that, that it made the cut, so to speak. Now, Father, would you cause us to be your hands and your feet? Would you cause us to do the hard work of introspection, of examining our own hearts? And we thank you for this day and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.